everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Let's Make the Shift with the Legal Work. Today we have amazing pleasure of speaking to a New York-based lawyer. So she's a big-time lawyer here in New York. Um, Tanisha James. Tanisha, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I don't know about big time, but I appreciate the kind words. Well, uh, Tanisha um, came to lecture us on antitrust. I know South Africans are probably thinking like, okay, that sounds fine. If I said antitrust, they'd be like, oh my gosh, you've become Americanized. Um, <laughs> she came to just on antitrust, um, antitrust laws in the US and, and how that works with mergers and acquisitions. So I believe that she's a big time lawyer because she knows her stuff. But Tanisha, please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure, happy to. Um, so as Tiani said, my name is Tanisha James. I am an equity partner at Cooley LLP here in New York. I specialize in antitrust and particularly in the mergers and acquisitions field. And in addition to being a lawyer at the firm, I also serve on a few committees, um, the chair of our Black Attorney Affinity Group, and I also serve on the firm's mental health and wellness and pro bono committees. Please tell us about your background and how you got started in a career in law. Sure. So I, my interest in the legal profession really began, I think, early on, but probably not in the most direct way. I actually grew up pretty hell-bent on being a doctor as a, as a child who just really enjoyed public speaking. And so I did, you know, debate and speech in high school and then when I went off to college, I was so sure that I was going to be pre-med and become a doctor. And about some point into second year bio, I realized that this was not the profession for me um, and that I should probably steer my interest more in the direction of things that I'm naturally inclined to rather than medicine and made the very easy shift to being a lawyer just because of the things I had been interested in. So kind of just progressed from there. Um, I really, really got excited about being a lawyer and it just really aligned with the things that I felt were kind of my natural strengths. Um, I went to work for a law firm now called Arnold and Porter K. Scholler. Right mm -hmm. after undergrad, I took a year off and was a legal assistant because I just wanted to make really sure that I wanted to go into the legal profession. And so I did that for a year. I loved it. And then I went to law school in Washington, D.C. at American University and graduated from law school there and started practicing in D.C. That's, um, that's a really great way to, first of all, make sure that, especially taking the year off to work and make sure that this is mm -hmm. something that you're really, really interested in. So how did you move from working in graduating and practicing in DC, how did you find yourself now at one of the top law firms in the world in New York City? <laughs> well, that too is a circuitous path. Um, I think I would say if you were to look at any trends in my career, it's certainly that I have not taken the traditional paths to get to places. And I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about my career. I learned early on is that you really need to be open-minded you know, while you have goals and you should set goals and you should attain them, you have to be a little bit flexible in how you actually get to accomplish them. And you have to look at the opportunities that come, that come to you 
and think about how they align with the goals you're trying to accomplish. And if possible, you know, be creative in how you get to where it is that you wanted to go. I mean, when I was in law school, I really wanted to work for a judge. I just wanted that experience, but I wasn't quite sure how to get it. And it just so happened that somebody I went to um, undergrad with worked for a judge and, you know, they were looking for an intern during my first year summer from law school. And so I got to do that. But that wasn't really the way that I had thought about it. I thought I was going to be a clerk and do all these things. But when that opportunity came, I, I jumped on it and was really excited about it. But when it comes to kind of the legal practice and how my career has moved and shifted, I think that creativity and flexibility has certainly played out. Um, I started my career at a firm called Howery LLP in Washington, D.C., which at the time was one of the top antitrust firms in the world because that was really our specialty and our focus. And it was a really special place. And I've always wanted to practice in an area that had some really strong touch point to corporations and to business. That kind of law really interested me. I didn't want to just go the transactional route, but I wanted to do something that dealt with companies and, and business people. So antitrust was a really natural fit. And from day one at Howery, I got to work on you know the most challenging antitrust cases and mergers and really just got to dive right in. And it was an interesting time because I graduated from law school in 2008, in May of 2008, which meant I was studying for the bar during the summer of 2008. And I started at a firm pretty much in like the height of the financial crisis in the fall of 2008. Um, so there was a lot of anxiety going into the practice, but I still, you know, we still had a lot of great opportunities that were going on. And, you know, at some point during that first year, the realities of the legal profession began to change. Um, it was during a time when it was unheard of to be laid off or let go as a first year associate, but that was becoming pretty in vogue because, you know, law firms were trying to find creative ways to cut costs and it's easier to let go of talent you've just gotten versus talent that you've been developing and invested in. So it was really challenging. I saw a lot of my close friends being laid off. Um, a lot of them, unfortunately, were brown folks. They were the, the yeah. first to go in many cases, which was challenging. Um, but at the same time, I also had an incredible, incredible group of particularly black female um, attorneys at the firm who were super supportive. I am friends with them to this very day. We actually just had a Zoom catch up happy hour last week. Um, but they really, really made that experience um, really, really you know, survivable, essentially, and were incredible guides to me. The other person that was played a really important role is actually somebody that I still work with to this day, because she is now the head of my group at my current firm. And her name is Jackie Grice. And she was a female partner at my first firm who I started working for very early on. We developed a very strong relationship and worked, you know, pretty consistently not all the time, you know, there's periods of time where you work for different partners on different deals, but had a relationship. Um, and whenever I got the opportunity, certainly was super excited to work for her. And that's a relationship that paid off because as I mentioned, the, the path for me has not been linear, but circuitous. And so as the firm was essentially seeming like it was right-siding itself and the, the legal industry was right-siding itself, 2011 came along and it turned out that our firm was actually really struggling financially. 
Um, and in the midst of, you know, one of the coolest deals I've worked on, the word came down that the, the firm was disbanding and breaking up. <laughs> and as a junior associate, that's not really the news that you want to hear, particularly once you've survived financial crisis and you've made it for three years and you're kind of plodding along to exactly. then hear that your firm home is falling apart. is not, not the news that you want to get. And it certainly has a, a level of helplessness to it because, you know, there's so many moving pieces, different partners are the ones who are really driving negotiations to go to new firms or to find a new home. You're stuck in this dilemma of, do I go with the people I know? Do I kind of find my own way? Do I just not do law at all? Because this doesn't seem to be a very safe place. Um, and I was very lucky in that um, I had a number of offers to go with different partners that I worked with. But that relationship that I had with Jackie really stuck with me. And I felt that she would take the most effort into guiding my career. And I really trusted her. And so I went with her and a group of um, other female partners to my next firm, which was Dewey and LaBeouf, which if most of you know anything about Dewey, I think the hallmark story is that Dewey is no longer with us either. So, so a year after landing at another firm, I was again going through the exact same situation of a firm falling apart, um, this time in the midst of purchasing a home, which that I don't oh, recommend wow. that at all. <laughs> So, Can I just stop you again, there, Tanisha? Um, just <laughs> sure. for us to just like crystallize like some of the core yeah. tenements around like your journey, especially as you were really in that 2008 crunch and then the law firm that you're working for, then, you mm -hmm. know, goes through these financial challenges. A lot of women uh, or people that are listening to this podcast are really in that place, no matter where they are in the world, where... Um, the career trajectory, your vision board that you created in January for 2020, this is my year, is not looking mm -hmm. anything like that. So, and I've just heard you talking about the importance of the relationships that you had, that you were cultivating um, with women, particularly in the legal industry, uh, the group of black female lawyers that you worked with, as well as the partner mm -hmm. that you had a relationship with in your law firm. And just around how mentorship kind of framed that and you as the mentee who was receiving this guidance and this coaching, what were you doing that kind of helped you stand out to the people that were investing in you? Because with a lot of mentorship relationships, you find that, you know, um, it starts off well, but then at some point, you know, things kind of fall off at, at some point in, in the middle mm -hmm. or, um, you know, just that follow through isn't there. Then you find a very frustrated mentor or a mentee maybe that isn't then getting the adequate support that they need so how do you advise people to navigate um that that those type of relationships and then also um when it comes to like women supporting women you can find that in some instances it's a lot of lip service so how do you mm -hmm. know or like test like that this relationship or this group of women like actually mean what they say, that like they're not just talking a good game, but if something happens, like, I mean, you were in a really crunch, crunch time at the, um, with your career, how did you know that you could really trust and depend on these women or like the, the advice and the community that, that you had created with them? You know, those are good questions. Um, I, I will probably 
weave it into the answer to the first one. It, it's not easy. You're, you're right to find the right mentors. And I do think there are still some pockets where it's not as common as it should be for women to help each other and to create that safe place for each other. I certainly had on my road many instances of women who I thought were mentors who it just didn't quite fit or it came to a moment where I had to really be honest with myself about where the relationship would go. So I would say you really do have to be um, aware and self-aware to acknowledge, you know, maybe you had the grandest idea for this person to really help you guide your career, but if it's not just, it's just not panning out, it's okay to pivot and go to someone else. And, you know, you just have to be gracious in letting that happen. You should also really again, in that level of introspection, be willing to partner with people that you you really see are willing to invest in you and that you see yourself, you know, being able to grow alongside or being nurtured by. So some of the mentors I had, you know, weren't the ones that that I kind of envisioned for myself. They were ones that happened more organically. And then I had to kind of wake up and go, oh, okay. <laughs> so this person is actually really a great fit for me. I wouldn't have picked them if you had told me to go, you know, out and reach out into a group. But I have to acknowledge that there really is something organic and wonderful that's happening here. And as the mentee, I think one of the things that I didn't realize at the time that I was doing that has really paid off over time is that I honored those relationships and I held them in a very sacred place of, I was very thoughtful in reaching out to people. I was very consistent. And I also tried to be useful to my mentors. I didn't see the relationship as being one way where I'm just taking and getting advice. I really saw it as giving as well. And I think particularly in a professional setting where you work together, that can be a really important part of your dynamic. So some of your mentors will be people that you work with or that you get assignments from. And that can be a very tricky thing to navigate of how to develop a mentor-mentee relationship, employer-employee relationship, and a friendship layered all on top of each other. Because once you have those things, that's what really makes for the most beneficial mentorship because you really know each other. Um, so I, I was very thoughtful about the ways that I did that. I certainly saw friends of mine make some missteps in in not really being intentional to make sure and protect those relationships. But for instance, when I did projects for those women in particular, I mean, I always believe in excellence. But you better believe that I gave it my all because I wanted them to shine and I wanted them to look good. And that investment in them, I think, really encouraged them to want to invest in me and built a relationship of trust so that, you know, times when firms are falling apart, you know, Jackie would come to me and say, wherever I go, you go because you are an important part of my success. And I'm so invested in you because I see the investment and interest that you have in me. Wow, that's that's a gem right there. That's a real, real gem right there. Um, for your for you to be invested in their success in to the equal proportion that they invested in your success, and um, yeah. then there's that alignment that that exists between the two of you. But please um, continue telling us about um, the next the Dewey drama. <laughs> that, that, that the is. Dewey drama, yes. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, Dewey was interesting. It was much more chaotic, <laughs> falling apart than my first firm. And again, I'm still in this kind of junior associate situation. Um, and I have to admit, I mean, twice in a row when you start to question, like, maybe this law firm thing is not for me. Um, it certainly is not for the faint at heart when you're going through it again and again. And I think, you know, looking at the profession today, it's become much more common <laughs> that firms are falling apart. Unfortunately, it's a natural part of business. But um, again, I think the relationship and the bond with Jackie and I really is what persevered. Um, because at each of these kind of breaks in the firms, it, it, the relationships between people had to break up because each group couldn't just stay together. They had to make decisions about could this person go to this firm, this person needed to go to this firm because certain clients couldn't be brought because of conflicts and different things like that. But again, Jackie was very much like, wherever I go, you go. Um, and I had to put my trust in her once the firm closed that she would find us a new home. And she did. But when we got to Cooley, which was the next place, Cooley was not the firm that it is today. It was kind of this up and coming firm. I remember asking her, like, where are we going again? I've never heard of this place. Oh, wow. And again, <laughs> that trust relationship. And I was very honest. I will say, you know, I think it's really important to have a healthy um, relationship with your concept of, again, where your career should go and how flexible you need to be. and Going through the firm, going down the second time, I was very honest about like, I'm going to go to this place because I have a job this person has provided with me with, but it may not be the right fit for me. This is just maybe a landing point. I was very honest with her. I said, I appreciate the opportunity. I've never heard of this firm. I'm going to give it six months and I may not be here in six months because I may decide this is just not the right move for me. And that was my perspective going into it. I think I had a very healthy sense of, I'm glad I have a job, but I need to, I want to be intentional in my career. I don't just want to be going where the, the, the current is sweeping me, but you have to make decisions that, you know, are right for your financial situation at the time. And then once you get to a more stable place, you can kind of progress from there. And the story at, at Cooley has literally been just, the right place, right time, right law firm. I think honoring that decision, again, I revisited in six months and I felt like we were on the right path and I really, really liked where we were. At that point, I was still in Washington, D.C. I felt the firm was very supportive. I think the one of the silver linings of going through two firms failing was that I learned a lot very quickly about the business of practicing law. Not so much just the giving advice and working with clients, but the financial aspects that you need to be aware of, of determining whether a firm is healthy or a business is healthy, and that you want to be a part of that growth, or whether they're just not really in line with having a clear vision for the future or where the future of the industry is going to go. And I felt that very strongly at Cooley. The platform was solid. The thought that was going into the types of practice areas that we had was really going to make us and create this momentum for us to be a powerhouse firm going forward. Because at that time, you know, tech and life sciences, which is the big practices for Cooley, were really on the upswing. And we very much <clears throat> have strong relationships in those areas. So I could see it. I can I could actually feel the vision of the leaders of the firm. And so I stayed. I really enjoyed it. I felt I learned a lot and continue to learn a lot. 
And then I think, you know, the next lesson in my transition was, you know, sometimes you have to be fearless in your career. I'm always, and I think it's important for everyone to, the way, the way that you stick with it, particularly in a career versus a job where you're trying to have longevity, is you keep have, having to revisit the question of why and what is your sense of purpose and why are you doing this thing that you're doing and why are you on this path? And so I'm always asking myself that question because I think that it's the only way to get through the hard times and to be honest about why am I here? What am I trying to accomplish? Do I have a sense of where I'm going? And at a certain point, you know, I really had this desire to grow my practice as an individual, I really love Jackie and she has given me so much, but I really felt that I've gotten to the point in my career where I needed to take a risk to really put myself out there and really come into the lawyer that I could become. Because sometimes the mentorship relationship needs to change, whether it's you need a different mentor to take you to the next level, or you need to realize that you're probably leaning a little bit too much on the mentor instead of really pushing yourself forward. And because we worked so closely together, I really got the sense I needed to do something to like really get my fire going again for my career. And so the idea that I had was to move from DC to New York. Um, and New York made sense because nobody in the New York office did what I do. It was really concentrated in DC. But in terms of, you know, mergers and acquisitions and antitrust, New York is kind of an, an obvious next big market for most firms. Their antitrust groups on the East Coast are in those two places. So I spoke with leadership at the firm and they thought it was a fantastic idea. And so I made the transition to New York with Cooley still. Um, and that was kind of a, a big shift, but probably one of the best career moves I have ever made. I think that move opened up the path for me to make partner. It forced me to really invest in my own career and in my own development in a way that allows me and is allowing me to really grow into the kind of lawyer, partner, mentor that I have become um, from having that sense of ownership and purpose. Just a question there. Um, you said that it helped you to invest in your own career development. What does that look like? Were you taking courses? Where were you finding clients? Because that's a, one of the things I remember because I was at Hogan Lovells as a junior mm -hmm. associate in the, the mining team. And, um, you know, you're thinking, okay, I need to grow my own, you know, practice. And you're looking at the clients and the people that are the ones that are able to pay the fees that are demanded by a, a large law firm. And mm -hmm. a lot of those people do not look like you. And you don't even know kind of like where to maybe find like a common ground with them for you to be mm -hmm. able to then develop that relationship to start getting that work. So how were you able to, um, to do that and get yourself to becoming an equity partner? So, you know, you have to really look at your organization and figure out what your organization values in terms of success and developing a business and building a practice. Um, at Cooley and a lot of firms that have really strong corporate and M&A practices, specialists like me, you know, antitrust is a specialty area, really have an important role to play because you can't have an M&A transaction unless you have all of these supporting 
roles of the specialists, whether it's environmental or antitrust or tax. Um, so our value is really high and the value that we can provide is high because you would never want as a firm to have to outsource that work to somebody else who's not in the firm. So that was an immediate opportunity. And so when I think of my clients, I have to think of them as my internal clients as well as external clients. And I focus on building my internal clients, which means my corporate partners and um, even associates at the time, my peers, who are the ones running the deals, they need to know who I am and that I can be you know, a dependable resource for them when it comes to doing the antitrust aspects of their transaction. Um, and particularly when it comes you know, to issues where antitrust is the gating item, it's the, it's the thing preventing the deal from getting done, having the experience that I had at my first firm of those really challenging deals from a very young age put me in a position to take on more responsibility really young. So I developed those relationships internally. I did a lot of trainings internally so that people know, knew who I was and they knew the level of expertise that I brought to the table. And it also built my own confidence. Because I think sometimes as you're growing and you're being taught by someone and you're being mentored by them, particularly as you work together, you don't always know what it is that you know, because no one's constantly testing that information. It's not like you're getting an exam that, that says, like, tell me everything you know about this topic and how you would approach this hypothetical as in law school. So you really are kind of getting those experiences in real time. And I found for me the more that I put myself out there and really had to explain things to people or teach people about things, that really increased my confidence and ability to articulate kind of what I was doing and what value I added. I was also really thoughtful in my business plan of kind of what I wanted to do. So I developed my business plan even as a senior associate, and I looked at areas where I thought that I was special. So I'm a really big believer in this idea of being authentic and genuine and that you are running your own race. There are hundreds of thousands of antitrust lawyers in the world, but there is only one antitrust lawyer that practices law like Tanisha. And that's my goal. My goal is to figure out the things that I do well and to maximize that. And I got really great feedback early on that I'm good with clients, that I'm good at explaining things, that I make things easy and things like that. And so I really leaned into that and use that to develop relationships. I think we're sometimes so worried about the um, kind of theater of business development, whether it's pitching and doing the grander things that we don't miss and we don't see the opportunities to do soft business development, as I call them, which is just being excellent in the work that you do, just being available when people need you and being dependable and doing the things that you say you're going to do all of those are business development opportunities and they keep people coming back. And those are the things that create the relationships. It's really the small things that then grow into the big things. And over time, before you know it, you really have basically sitting in front of you, you know, a whole practice and a roadmap for your own success. Wow. I really, really like that. Um, and that's very, very important. That's what I then found coming out of, um, the law firm environment now running a legal consulting firm with my friend that it has been about like those small touches uh, and the client feeling that they can depend on you or other attorneys feeling that they can depend on you and then mm -hmm. referring you for opportunities. Um, and at the moment, so are you currently in the mentorship relationship? Are you being mentored? Are you mentoring anybody? 
So I am. Um, I, as I mentioned, I'm the chair of our Black Attorney Affinity Group, and I tr- I think of them all as my mentees. <laughs> There's thirty something of them spread out across all of the offices of our firm, and I I think part of my role, I think particularly in that role as the the head of the Affinity Group, like I see them all as people that I'm mentoring because I want them all to succeed. And whether, you know, once they've already been recruited to the firm, and so my job, I see it as more to help them develop and to provide a support structure so that they can succeed and to basically recreate in a grander scale the sense of community that I had from those Black female attorneys that I felt really poured into my career. So, you know, whenever I'm in the offices, as I travel a lot as a partner, I make it a point to have lunch with them or have coffee or to let them know that I'm there. Our firm is really great. When people visit, they send your picture around the entire office and say, this person is going to be here today. Um, And so they're really great about reaching out to me. They'll say, you know, we see that you're in town. Can we please stop by and and meet with you? Um, So I do that. I try really hard for us to develop programming um, that I think will help them, whether it's bringing in clients to speak to them about client service, bringing in people in our firm and those resources, other coaches to do sessions. Um, or us using opportunities to sponsor events. You know, during Black History Month, we did an office viewing of the documentary about Black colleges and universities for everyone in the firm to come and watch and to kind of learn about our history and I think to develop a deeper appreciation. So definitely lots of mentor relationships and, and mentees. And, you know, during the COVID times, I pick up the phone and I give them a call. There's a few of them that I talk to pretty regularly just to make sure they're doing okay. I think, I think that's really important. Yeah. And particularly during these times, we tend to be a group that can kind of fall through the cracks. Mm. I think we fall through the cracks in the best of times, but it, it becomes really important when people are feeling more isolated when there isn't as much intention um, on the individual touch points to really reach out to the folks that look like us because they probably need more support. And even as the health crisis, I think, is impacting communities of color, you know, the reality is that a lot of, you know, black and brown people at law firms probably have someone that they've lost or who has been really affected by COVID. So it's really important to provide that support system. Um, yeah. And my mentors are still there. I still have Jackie. That's great. That's <laughs> um, Jackie great. is now the head of my group, and she's doing amazingly well. Um, I've, you know, the, the firm has been really great in being supportive of me getting coaching over the years. So I've done internal coaching, external coaching, um, and that's been really wonderful. Um, I've really, really appreciated the opportunities, particularly in that transition from associate to partner. It can yeah. be a very abrupt one um, at your, depending on kind of your firm structure. And I really wanted to make sure that I transitioned well. Um, I think particularly for me, and I don't know, you know, other people relate to this, but I'm, I share this story often. Um, the road, the run up to partnership is not easy for anyone. Um, if you think about it, you know, less than 1% of lawyers at law firms actually make partner. It's a pretty oh, wow. small number. Yeah. Um, and it's a challenging thing. And any firm you're at, it, it's usually a, a pretty intense process. And mine was particularly intense because I lost my mother in I'm the so first year of me going through it. Yeah. And my mom and I were very close 
so I really felt it. I really felt that my world had been shaken, but at the same time, I really had this stronger sense of, I got to do this. My mom, who has been by my side and was always the person who sacrificed for me to be here and championing me. And I really wanted to honor that and to really grow into this thing that I knew that I could become. But, you know, it, again, it's, it's about support. There's, there's no way, I would never say that you could do this on your own. You know, whatever it is that you need, that there's, you've got to have people, particularly if you're going to be doing this a long time, yeah. that sense of support and growth is really important. Um, and I encourage people to open themselves up to that. I know it's not easy for everyone, particularly if you're a little bit more of a quieter person, it can be harder to really find those people. But there are, you know, every kind of person in a law firm, and I think anyone can and should build those relationships. Wow. Wow, Tanisha, thank you so, so much. Um, as a person that's currently graduating in the next couple of weeks, just listening to you, thinking about the future has given me a greater perspective to really go back uh, into my own network, as well as to kind of have mm -hmm. that hope that like the world is not coming to an end now. Uh, but being open it's not. and flexible. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Be I've been here before. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> yeah, that, that you're not. Look, one of, whatever it is that wherever we are, as long as we have the correct perspective, we're going to make it mm -hmm. through this. And now for something a little bit lighter, uh, just a rapid okay. fire round, just for us to kind of wrap up. Um, what you have to say, the first thing that comes to your mind <laughs> Okay, what is the one thing? What is the one thing that you would like to change about the legal industry? Ooh, you didn't say these were going to be hard questions. Um, the one thing I would change about the legal industry. Oh, this is a tough one. I would probably say I wish there was more awareness of the differences that we all bring to the table and how they can be strengths. I think there is a perception um, that the legal profession tends to be homogeneous in terms of the people that choose to go into it and a presumption that sometimes gets made that opportunities or access or background are all relatively similar or experiences are relatively similar. And I think that's obviously not the case and that that should be viewed as a strength and a learning opportunity even amongst each other to get to know each other on a personal level and to figure out how we can use that to make the special sauce of our legal careers individually and also as teams. I love that. Next question. What's your go-to power outfit? Like what's that outfit that you put on when you're like, today, I'm not playing with these people? <laughs> Leather pants. Um, <laughs> I'm not even joking. I am, you know, I, I don't consider myself a fashionista, but I've been told that that is um, part of my identity. Um, I think it has become part of my identity as a lawyer. It's certainly something that clients seem to remember. Uh, I think it's just another example of being true to yourself. If it's really genuine, it will end up being kind of your trademark. And I would say for me, most people, tend to see me usually I have these like cute little leather crop pants and nice heels 
and a really cool sweater or top or something. I'm big into texture, so I tend to wear things that are very furry and fuzzy or leather. So those are all some of my go-tos for my power outfits. If you see me in one of those, you know that I'm feeling pretty good that day. Okay, okay, got you. Um, And what's your most used emoji when you're texting your friends or just texting? My most used emoji is the high fives. (laughs) <laughs> and the excited ones yes I'm always like cheering something and someone I think that's a natural uh place for me to be as the motivator and for whatever reason I I always seem to be using the the, the hands up emoji all the time uh and complete the sentence I can't stop spending money on Amazon right now <laughs> <laughs> Amazon has become my go-to, um, yeah, because you can just get everything delivered to your doorstep. So, I mean, I outfitted my home gym, my home office. Everything here right now is basically courtesy of Amazon. So, um, right now it's my go-to. Usually it's, you know, something related to fashion like ShopBop or something like that is usually my go-to. <laughs> but, you know, have to adjust to the times. Okay, we'll ask Jeff Bezos to send you a personalized card. <laughs> for the <laughs> He needs you. to. <laughs> he certainly needs to. Um, and at the top of my playlist is, what's at the top of your playlist right now? Uh, the top of my playlist is almost always Alicia Keys. So right now, I think my favorite Alicia Keys song is probably, probably, um, Wild Horses, the unplugged version that she did with Adam Levine. It's pretty awesome. Okay. We'll put that on our playlist. We'll probably create a a playlist from all the interviews and (laughs) give people a chance to listen to that. And the last question, living through multiple, well, this is a pandemic on its of its own nature. But I mean, having gone through various other difficult challenges, what is like the one golden thread consistent lesson that you've been holding on to from 2008 until now? Hmm. The one that I always talk about is it's kind of a compilation of things. I think it's, you know, you got to lean into the discomfort, <laughs> even though it gets hard and uncomfortable that needs to kind of be an accepted place for you to be and to live because life is often very uncomfortable and you need to try to figure out what uniquely empowers you. Like I said, I think I find when you're trying to run your own race and to develop into the thing that you are supposed to do, you will eventually kind of grow into your own authenticity and power. And then that's the point at which you become unstoppable because that's what you're here to do. And when you find alignment with that, you know, sky's the limit. Thank you. Thank you. I completely agree with you. And where can people keep up with you? The best place to find me is probably on LinkedIn. So I'm on there, Tanisha James. Thank you so much, Tanisha, for joining us today. Um, It's been great chatting with you. Everyone, I'm sure, is going to be just look out for like a flood of (laughs) either inboxes or... (laughs) People get um, requests uh, to get to know you more and keep finding out more about the, the great work that you're doing with diverse communities and um, in 
just in, in your career. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and I welcome everyone. Thank you all so much for joining us for this week's episode of Make the Shift with the Legal Work. We look forward to hearing from you and we would absolutely love your feedback on this episode. You can hit us up on email at editor at thelegalwork.com or make sure that you're following us on LinkedIn. Reach out to us there or on our Instagram, all under The Legal Work. In addition, please make sure that you are subscribed to the blog and make sure that you register to receive the weekly newsletter where we discuss all things that pertain to work, lifestyle, and journey. Make sure that if you enjoy this, you send this to your friends and your colleagues, everyone that you stand around the water cooler with so that you guys can discuss this and send those discussions back to us. Also, if there's anyone that you think would be absolutely incredible or whose work, life and journey you admire in the legal industry, let us know. We would love to know them too. And maybe you might hear them on this podcast. Thank you so much and we wish you an amazing week.